Hey guys, welcome back to the Kind of an Expert podcast. As always, my name is Corey Tyndall and I'm your host. And this week it is part two of working on a political campaign. Uh, if you haven't listened to part one, please go do that. I think it's going to provide a lot of context. If you really don't want to, I think you can listen to this one by itself. Um, really just to kind of catch you up. I worked on the Clinton campaign um, and so in 2016 and so this is kind of the story of that um well the last episode was a little more about the stories and the people that i met uh during the campaign this one is a little bit heavier um it it has to deal a lot with some of the horrible things that happened to my coworkers and i on the uh on the campaign and really just kind of my biggest issues with politics in general and what the campaign showed me. Uh, I think it showed me an, a very unique perspective being able to talk to all of these different people uh, from all of these different walks of life. And I'm really passionate about what uh, both sides need to be doing and how both sides have really kind of screwed over the American public. So um, this one is a little bit shorter. I think you guys will uh, like it. I hope you at least find it interesting. Um, and please remember to like, share, subscribe, all that other fun stuff. Again, like I said last week, I just made a dedicated Instagram to the podcast at kind of an expert on Instagram. So go follow that. I'll be putting all of the highlight clips up there for this one. Um, and with that, let's get into the episode. to the end of the election. Uh, so that would be about mid-October to Election Day, which is November 3rd. Um, it starts to ramp up around the campaign, not only for the workers, um, but for pretty much everyone in the area. Um, as like I was saying before with the volunteers, like it was always kind of hard to get them to volunteer because we were always only getting volunteers and nobody really wanted to help. But as we got closer to election day, more and more people did kind of want to help. Um, so there's a lot more positive energy going on with, uh, with the, idea of a Clinton presidency. People, as if you guys remember, uh, Trump kept saying inflammatory statements, and honestly, it kind of fired up a lot of uh, the people that were on the fence about volunteering their time into actually thinking it might be a good idea that, that they should help us. However, um, the downside to that is that the other side also got fired up in how much they fucking hated us. Uh, Trump, as as many people as he fired up for us, he probably fired up more against us. And um, it honestly, uh, it got violent. So if you guys remember in, in part one, I mentioned that, you know, there were... Um, there was the group of guys who flashed a gun at me because they thought I was with 
Donald Trump. Uh, so you can you can kind of get a sense that like tensions are boiling over here, and it it kind of boils over. Um, so one of one of the things that happened in I think this was probably mid September. Uh, is we actually had a threat to uh, a bomb threat to the office. Um, so we had a office in downtown Toledo on Jefferson Street. It was in a uh, little, <clears throat> not a big thing, but it was in this old historic building. It was right by the bus stop. It was right downtown. Um, and uh, and two of my coworkers, both of them, uh, happened to be black, and and that is important for the story. Uh, we're standing outside the office, and uh, and some random dude <clears throat> walked up to them, and uh, and asked what they were doing, just kind of like a casual, like, oh hey, what are you guys doing around here? Not like a questioning way, uh, but when they said, oh we're we 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 work with the Clinton campaign. Are you interested in volunteering? Blah, blah, blah. Any of that kind of stuff. Um, they, that guy started to verbally attack my coworkers and, and one of my coworkers like these, these weren't like small people. The, the one that he, he really went after, uh, was a, a, a black dude named Roger who played football at Yale. So he's smart. He's not small. Um, and he's in the, I believe he's in the Marines now. So like, he's a tough dude. And this guy came after Roger started calling him, uh, the N word and threatening to kill him and threatening to blow up our entire office of workers and how Hillary camp Hillary is the devil and you know all this other uh, all these other threats that that none of us heard but Roger came in and and told us like hey we need to be on guard for this guy because he's fucking crazy. Um, and he might blow us up. And so what that led to was, uh, from that day until probably mid November, um, we had an unmarked cop car sitting in the parking lot across the street from our office that was as soon as it went dark. So probably like five o'clock they would park there and it would a cop would just sit there all night and make sure that nobody came in uh who looked threatening uh and and wanted to come after us and it was it was the first and and only time i've been threatened like that and it wasn't even a direct threat to me it was just you know kind of collateral damage and luckily nothing ever happened of that, but we had other instances. Um, so I, I mentioned one of my coworkers, Muhammad. Um, he is Muslim, and his wife, Rukaya, uh, wore a uh, hijab. She wore a, a scarf over her over her head. She didn't show anything but her face. It wasn't like, it wasn't a full face covering. You could still see her her full face. But when she was standing outside of a building, she had coffee thrown on her from above. Um, now we never found out who did that and we can't say for sure that this was somebody who, um, did it because she's Muslim. However, it didn't happen to anyone else. So it's, it's 
tough to say, and especially with the the threats that we had going on and just the the everyday hate that we saw, it's tough to say that this was not because she was Muslim. Um, and we also had random things happen as well for for non hate reasons. My uh, my boss Christian, who um, was staying because he was the regional organizing director, he uh, the campaign rented him an apartment in downtown Toledo, and so he was walking back there one night at eleven o'clock, and he was actually robbed at gunpoint. Um, a couple of guys walked up to him and put a gun in his back and said, we're going to this ATM and you're going to empty your cash out and, or we're going to kill you. And he kind of thought they might kill him anyway. Um, they were making indications that, that after they took his money, they might kill him. Uh, however he, or they took his phone, they took his wallet they took the cash out of the atm which i think was like i think the most he could take out was like 400 bucks or 500 bucks which is lucky for him but he didn't have a ton of money it's not like we were getting paid a ton here um and he got lucky that someone happened to walk past and and anyone that knows like a downtown area of a midwest city it really closes down after 11 it's not like new york city where you can really kind of walk around until 4 a.m. And even at 4 a.m., there's people walking around uh, that, that might be able to help you. It really is kind of deserted in these Midwest downtown areas after everyone goes home from working there during the daytime. Um, and and really, that kind of took a toll on all of us because he was uh, he was our leader. Um, so like I, I illustrated in part one, like we're working a ton. Everyone is pretty demoralized uh, because nobody really wants to volunteer. We're getting hung up on a lot. Our coworkers are being threatened. Uh, there's like the polls are looking fine, which is good, I guess. For it, I mean, it seemed good at the time, but looking back in hindsight, it's really part of the reason that nobody wanted to help was that they thought she had it. They were like, this guy's a joke. There's no way that she's going to lose. So why do I need to help? Why do I need to spend my time? And honestly, that's a fair question. I want, I, I would guess that I'm, I'm pretty certain that if I didn't get a job on the campaign, I would not have volunteered my time to help beat him. Um, who knows what I would have been doing if I didn't get this job. I might have still been delivering pizzas. I might have had another job. I honestly have no idea, but I, I get the sentiment. I get the feeling of it. Um, and so when the last four days come around, uh, it's called GOTV. And that stands for get out the vote. And the whole point of everything we did was for these four days. Um, now, starting in early October, there was early vote, um, which in Ohio means you could go to one place in Toledo, uh, which was not a very central location. It wasn't even downtown. It was on the west side of the river where almost nobody lived. Um, and you could go stand in line for a while and vote early if you wanted. It wasn't a good system. Uh, and, and we kind of tried to get people to do that when we knock on doors. That's, uh, 
we would ask like, oh, have you early voted yet? But my territory was on the east side of Toledo and honestly, it was a 30 minute drive to get to the spot. So it was pretty useless to ask them about it. Um, they either mostly didn't care or they didn't care enough to drive 30 minutes, which honestly, don't blame them. So, you know, <clears throat> all everything that we were doing was essentially trying to set up all of this for the last four days when you're trying to capitalize on people being excited about the election. Uh, as I mentioned, people aren't really excited because all the polls show Hillary winning. They don't really think that uh, there's any chance Trump can win. So, but what I will say is it's better than in August. People are, are more willing to volunteer. Um, and what we did for GOTV is each territory, each of the organizers that was there, it was our job to uh, set up a headquarters in the territory for people to come and they would show up to the headquarters and they would um, get their packet of doors that they needed to knock on. And their goal was to ask people, you know, what is your plan for voting? Are you going to do early vote? Are you going to uh, go there on election day? Do you know where your uh, place was, which I found was the best question to ask, like when when people would answer the door is, hey, do you know where your polling place is? Because uh, most people didn't. And it's a good way to get into the conversation. It's non-political. Nobody shut the door on you. Uh, you could legitimately say, like, I'm with the Clinton campaign, but honestly, I don't really care who you're voting for. Um, I just want to know that you know where your polling place is. Um, and so that was that was big to have these headquarters that was actually close. People could go there uh, and they could do uh, they could get their packets without really leaving their own neighborhood. So at that headquarters, we needed four different people. We needed four people there to essentially help uh, train people to knock on doors. We needed four people there, or we needed one person there to uh, give out packets. We needed one person there to type in the information from the packets so we could say like, oh, they weren't home. Oh, then we need to knock on their door again tomorrow to make sure that, that they know they got a vote. Um, all of this, all of this other stuff, stuff, just administrative stuff, training, all of it needed to happen at the headquarters. And so part of my job in the last month was to sign people up for these volunteer shifts to not only run the administrative stuff in uh, the headquarters, but to also do the door knocking shifts. So people would do these hour and a half shifts where they would get a packet of like 40 doors, 40 houses. Maybe it could it could be close to 100 houses if it was in apartments, um, which are a lot easier to, to really rip through the numbers there. Um, and so we had all these spots blocked out in our in our packets, so we would be calling people and getting them to, to agree to volunteer on those four days. Um, and then we would do confirmation calls two days before. And I realized that, um, and this is really sleazy of me, but I'm kind of proud of it, um, is that on the confirmation call, if they had signed up for one shift in the first call, you would just say on the confirmation call, so I have here that you signed up for two shifts. And 
probably 60% of the people would be like, yep, that sounds right. And then I could go back in my log and mark them down for another shift that they didn't sign up for just because I told them they signed up for it. Um, Kind of of a dirtbag thing to do. However, what I will say is that the campaign was so desperate that when I told my boss that I was doing this, he honestly started clapping. And then I had to get on the phone with on a conference call with every single organizer in the state of Ohio to tell people what I was doing and that they needed to do it too. <laughs> Which, I mean... <laughs> I was just kind of thinking like I'd tell my boss and it'd be like, ha isn't this funny? Like, yeah, fuck these volunteers. I hate them. They don't actually want to help us, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it became policy that we would lie to volunteers about how many uh, shifts they picked up. I don't know if anyone else started doing that because it really is a dirty thing to do. But I just thought like at the time I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, wow, the campaign was so desperate if they were telling people to lie to their volunteers. So anyway, <clears throat> with the the HQs in these last four days, uh, the tricky part is that I wasn't at the HQ. I wasn't allowed to be there to do all of this stuff because they knew that we could knock more, the organizers could knock more doors than any of the volunteers. And that's mostly because most of the volunteers were old ladies. Um, so meanwhile, I'm I'm out there for 12 hours a day, every day for the last four days. And I had these two older ladies and uh, Charles who had been helping me a ton. Um, and one of my friends from high school came down cause he didn't have a job. And so he was helping me out. Um, and these, all they needed to do was like sit there and check people in. I gave Sam and Charles the tough jobs of like actually loading stuff in. All these old ladies needed to do <clears throat> was check people in, uh, to the system so that they could, um, help us. And part of it is that we really didn't have very many volunteers. Uh, the reason what happened is they just quit. We had three days until the election and they just quit. Their only job was to sit there and mark people down on a sheet. That was the only thing they needed to do. There was nothing else they needed to do. And after one and a half days, they texted me and just said like, yep, we're going home. She's not going to lose. We're wasting our time. And I even had given them other things to do. I was like, well, you can call people while you're waiting if you want. And they were just so bored and they were so sure she was going to win that they left. And honestly, I sent an incredibly rude text message to both of them talking about how they, she's not going to win uh, and that they are giving up on their, on their country. They're giving up on all these other people who Trump was saying they were, he was going to take away his rights. We know now that he didn't take away rights from as many people as he was saying. It was still not a great presidency in my opinion. Um, but you know, he was potentially going after gay people. He was potentially going after, uh, Hispanic people, Muslims, all these groups of people. Um, and so I, I reminded them about that and they, they honestly just said, texted back, uh, fuck you. We're, we're done. 
And so it was incredibly stressful for uh, my friends Sam and Charles, who then had to do the work of four people themselves. And it more stressful for me because I had to pick up a little bit of that too. And and the frustration of all of this is the one of my biggest gripes with this whole campaign is who we were talking to in these last four days. So as I said in part one, nobody's really interested in the suburbs. Nobody's really interested in the sticks uh, or they know who they're voting for. But there's not a lot of people. The only thing that you could really do when you're knocking on doors is remind people it's election day and remind them where their polling place is. The people that I had, and I'm not even just saying for myself, obviously I don't want to waste my time However, we had people come in, like drive in from the East Coast to help knock doors. Like that was an an afternoon for them and their friends. Like they got a hotel in Toledo uh, and they were going to knock four hours with the doors all four days. And that's what they were going to do because they really felt passionately about this. And we spent thousands of man hours knocking on doors in the suburbs pointlessly. There was no reason to be there because, as I said in part one, the the people in the sticks are all voting for Trump. They don't want anyone there. Anyone randomly walking around with a clipboard is potentially a pedophile. And the suburbs know when election day is and they know who they're voting for. Nobody was undecided by the end of that. But what we didn't do is spend nearly enough time in the urban areas volunteers were scared to go in there which is fine understandable send the volunteers to the nicer parts but all of the organizers spent so much time in the wrong parts of um of the city and i tried to convey that to my boss who conveyed it to his boss and it completely got shut down the headquarters in new york was telling everyone that we need the suburbs and like I understand that we need the suburbs. The Democrats definitely need the suburbs in terms of political theory and political games. Um, However, there's not much a ground-based attack can do. Like Facebook had already made them decide. They knew who they were voting for. It was a huge waste of time. And voter turnout was low in the inner cities. If we had spent you know, those thousands of man hours reminding people to vote on election day and getting them cars to go to their polling place and telling them where their polling place was, it might've been a different turnout, not in Ohio, but definitely in, in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania where we didn't campaign at all. Um, and that's, that's part of my second issue is where we were. If you guys remember Trump, won Ohio by 12 points like that's a huge amount of people there's nothing an organizing campaign can do there a campaign can swing a vote roughly two percent if it's executed perfectly they could gain two percent if it's executed horribly or not at all they could lose two percent we were in a spot where it was 12 percent and we had people in like Colorado which went like 15% for Hillary. Uh, we were talking with the people from from Colorado and they honestly like were sitting around doing nothing all day. They were getting paid to do nothing because they were in such a lead. Meanwhile, Michigan loses by like a quarter of a percent and Wisconsin loses by like 20,000 votes and Pennsylvania loses by like a point and a half. It was just horribly, horribly 
worked out by the Democrats. And, and honestly, they did the same thing in 2020. They put a lot of people in Florida. They put a lot of people in uh, other red areas that they were trying to take, North Carolina. Don't worry about North Carolina. Let's get the places that you think you already have. Let's make sure those are actually right because these polls are wrong a lot. Like there's there's no point in being there. And so we were put into situations where like me and one of my coworkers at 930 at night found another packet and had to drive out to the sticks to go knock on four people's doors to get them to go vote on the day before Election Day. And we ended up finding a dog fighting ring like legitimately a caged in area that looked like it was made for animals to fight in. It had barbed wire on the top, like a domed fence area. And like when we went back and uh, Googled what a dog fighting ring looks like, it looked exactly like that. Unfortunately, that wasn't one of our houses and we weren't like we didn't have the address for it. Otherwise, we would have called the cops and said, like, hey, you need to check out what's going on here. And we didn't see any suspicious activity actually going on. But it's just like, why are we in areas with dogfighting rings trying to, like, get them not to vote for Trump? That's who's voting for Trump. I can guarantee in that Venn diagram, 100% of dogfighters voted for Trump or didn't vote at all. None of them voted for Hillary Clinton. There's no, there's absolutely no chance. And it also, with all of the... Uh, bullshit that was going on with, with my coworkers being threatened. A lot of that was coming from the suburbs. These were suburban people who were completely threatened by what we were doing because they'd been radicalized. Radicalized is maybe a strong term. They had learned to hate us because we were part of the deep state. They were, they're in the suburbs. They're in that area. And so one of my coworkers went with her boyfriend and and she is black he is white and that's relevant that's relevant to the story which is unfortunate drove into my area in the suburbs in a wealthy area parked their car on a wealthy uh block with a cul-de-sac outside of a house went around the the cul-de-sac knocking on doors And when they got back, the house that they had parked in front of had put up a sign in their window that said, leave our neighborhood, you N-word and N-word lover. And it's, it's, I want to blame those people and I do blame those people and I blame Trump partially for making those people hate my coworkers so much. And I blame the media for making those people hate my coworkers so much. But I also partially blame the Democratic Party for sending them there. There's no reason they should have been sent there. Because we knew, I had months of data saying that that was a worthless place to go. I had thousands, tens of thousands of phone calls into that area saying there is nothing for us here. I had thousands of doors knocked saying there is nothing for us here. I had a complete lack of voter registration in that area that says there's nothing for us here. And what that led to is the Democratic Party completely ignoring their own organizers and sending them out into that area where they're being threatened. And it really just goes into like a lot of the the frustrations that we had with the Democrats. I mean, it's just you want to talk about inept 
political theory and all this it's it's so frustrating like the the thing i'll say about republicans is like they stick together they know how to play the game and it really they do see it as a game everyone sees it as a game i know a lot of people see this as uh as you know people's lives and and lives are at stake with a lot of this um policy that's being made but once you get towards the top like it's 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 a vanity project for these narcissists. Like if you ever meet a politician, they're all narcissistic assholes. They don't care about any of these people. They have an idea of what they think is going to work. And sometimes it's a democratic idea. Sometimes it's a Republican idea, but it's just so rare that any of them actually give a shit about what's going on. And all they've done with this because they don't care is weaponize the media to make sure that, we hate each other. And it really just goes towards a lack of communication between the people. The media has been weaponized. Social media has been weaponized so that nobody talks to anybody on the other side. And this gets to the biggest frustration that I had from the campaign. And that is honestly how inept most of my coworkers are at talking to or were at talking to anyone on the other side. All we did was talk to to Republicans and a lot of my coworkers came in from the East Coast. They'd never met a Republican who wasn't like some stuffy businessman. They'd never met a union worker from uh, the Rust Belt of Ohio who was struggling because his wages haven't gone up in almost 30 years or from the time that he started. And they didn't know how to talk to them. And honestly, I think my biggest advantage on the campaign was the fact that I was a Bernie supporter because there were six or seven people that I met who were big Bernie supporters who were mad that Bernie got stiffed by the the Democratic Party in which I brought up before. I actually think the Democratic Party was right to stiff Bernie. Um, And I said this in part one because he really hadn't helped them at all and he was trying to use their resources and I fully understood that but my because I had voted for him before I was actually able to talk to these people who were now voting for Jill Stein because they were mad about Bernie and the things that they they really care and what I was able to say to them is like guys look I don't really like Hillary's fine I don't really care about her the important thing are those supreme court seats And I'm really sad to say that I was 100% right with those Supreme Court seats. We knew there was one. There was probably going to be two that Trump was going to fill. Because if you remember, Obama nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell left, uh, wouldn't pass him through for an entire year. And Trump got to put in, um, I honestly forget his name, the guy who drinks, the guy who cried on the stand because that lady accused him of molesting her. And now Amy Coney Barrett is the other one. And if we had gotten Hillary, then we would have a Supreme Court that was majority liberal. Who knows what the House and the Senate would be like uh, if Hillary had won. The the Republicans may have gotten more and more frustrated with, uh, with the political system, and they might have just completely taken over the House in 2018, as opposed to the Democrats being able to take over the House in 2018. But I would go back to my office, and my coworkers would be like, ugh, another Jill Stein. I don't know how to talk to them. 
another uh, former Obama, now Trump person. I don't know how to talk to them. It's like, we well, got to ask them what they care about. And that's not what anyone's doing now. Everyone's reading the news on their side and immediately thinking, oh, that person's stupid. They're not realizing that, you know, Trump supporters, their, their wages haven't gone up in their entire life. Like we sold out the idea of real wages just to get cheap goods from China. Everything was material based. All of these companies started outsourcing those jobs, those jobs making clothes, those jobs making technology, those jobs making toys to cheaper people. And the, the goods got cheaper and everyone has more stuff now, but quality of life hasn't gone up. We're, we're just sitting there with nicer TVs. Like your, your life isn't better because your TV is nicer for more than a week. And so the 1% has gotten richer and our overall GDP has gone up. The stock market is fucking killing it right now. But when the Democrats say, we're going to do more of the same, when Hillary says, yep, we're on a good track, we're going to do more of the same, we got this, those Trump supporters are looking at this going like, man, I don't, I don't have the money to move. My job is going to close. Like I'm stuck. And, and everyone was like making fun of the, the Trump supporters in Wisconsin and uh, for the factory that like there was some dude, I think it was like a paper factory or something like that in Wisconsin that closed down and Trump told him that it was going to come back, which is a fucking lie. But it's like, you know, he lied to them, but that's what they wanted to hear because no one else had told them that like they can't move. It's not easier. Like the learn to code scandal that was going on before all of this was happening or not before the campaign, but like at one point, uh, before 2020, there was a whole thing around like, Oh, the, all these people who are out of work should just learn to code. It's like, you can't teach a 45 year old how to code. Are you serious? I tried to take a coding class when I was 21. It was one question away from failing the class on the final exam. Like that shit is hard. There's no like point in, in trying to say that like these people are worried. They've got a family. They can't do this. And instead of anyone asking like, okay, and what, what are you issue? What are your issues? Why are you voting for Trump? And, and them saying like, well, you know, I, I think we, we don't need immigrants. And instead of going, oh, well, you're fucking wrong. We need immigrants because of this, this, and this, you need to ask more questions. You need to ask, okay, why do you think we need less immigrants? You need to you need to find out that the reason they think that we need less immigrants is that they think immigrants are taking the jobs that they would want to do. And it's not true, but until you find out and you actually like hear from them why, then why would they ever believe you? You're just some dude or some girl from the East Coast who has no idea how they live and who have never been to their town before telling them like, Oh, you're wrong. You're showing up and you're like, Oh, you're, you're a hundred percent wrong. Democrats have become the kid in class in high school who reminds the teacher that they needed to collect the homework. We're sitting, we're all sitting there and 90% of the class is going like, Oh, thank God the teacher didn't collect the homework 
because, you know, I didn't do a very good job and the kid next to me didn't do it at all. And like maybe an extra day would help them or I would have a chance to take a look at it again, all this other stuff. And then the the liberals are pointing out all this bullshit, like cancel culture and, and all of this other stuff that they're focusing on where they're just like, oh, yeah, teacher, you, you need to collect the homework. And everyone else in the class is going like, what the fuck did you just do that for? You're fine. You did the homework. Turn it in tomorrow. Why are you screwing over everyone else? What the fuck? Why are you doing that? There's always going to be people in the class who aren't going to do it anyway. But that's fine. We've completely left the middle class. And in this analogy, the middle class are the people who didn't get a chance to do their homework because they were underwater. They had family issues the night before. And suddenly they're trying to play catch up and they almost had a break. They almost had a break, but then all of a sudden just more bullshit put on top of them, more things they got to worry about, more things that people are focusing on that they don't think are a real priority right now, like getting the homework in the day that it was due as opposed to the day after, which who honestly cares? Like who gives a shit if it's a day after? Don't be the stuffy nerd who is throwing these people onto the bus. They're poor. Like they are, they are helpless. They are in famine mode. Like they are an animal trapped in the corner. And I get into this a little bit more in the other solo podcast that I did on the, the new Gilded Age, where I talk about how, uh, it, comparing this time period to how we were in the 1800s where there's a film a fine layer of gold on top with a bunch of rich people and those people generally live in cities and they generally do this and uh and they generally have a lot of money uh and then everyone else is really hurting and when everyone else is really hurting they look to enemies to blame so that their life can get better their thought process is okay my life's not going to get better until someone else's life gets worse and that's that is a famine mentality and that's being fed by the media and that's being fed by social media however the only way to change their mind is to show them that going after other people isn't actually going to change anything even though it feels like it might change anything it's not actually going to change anything and it's it's really a it's a situation that's going to take a long time to heal i believe but the first part of this is just like looking and getting along with other people and just asking that next question not asking what they believe but asking why they believe it because from what I've seen with my, my coworkers being threatened and my office being threatened and all of the great people that I've met on the campaign, it's just there's such a lack of everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to do the same thing. However, everyone thinks that the other person is the enemy. And I think it's important to keep in mind with the, the Democratic runoff that just happened in, in Georgia, which this is... Uh, this is going to come out after that. I'm recording before that happens, so I don't know how this is going to go. But I think it's important to keep in mind as Biden becomes the president that blaming the other side is not going to do anything. Both sides, and especially the Democrats, need to look at what the other side cares about and make some concessions. Like, let's let's focus on people that are actually in need over other issues that aren't maybe as 
concerning right now. Like, let's focus on healthcare. Let's not focus on uh, canceling people. Let's, you know, let's focus on raising the minimum wage. Let's let's focus on doing things that are actually going to get people more money and help them out, like incentivizing people, companies to start to keep their, uh, not offices, but like factories here so that people actually have places to go Hell, like some program where like, if you were put out from a factory, if you were furloughed, cause the factory closed, like some social program where that's better than unemployment, where you can help them to relocate to another place that has stuff. Uh, stop letting oil lobbyists lobby against green energy just because they're mad at it because the oil lobbyists are not or the oil and um the like factories and oil lobbyists are not creating jobs here they're creating gdp but they're not creating jobs here so stop listening to them listen to the people who are creating jobs here and i know that's a very typical democrat message it's a very typical politician message but it needs to actually start to happen so what we need to do is start looking past the narcissistic assholes that are running trying to find people who genuinely believe this is what we need to be doing and voting them in however you vote if you believe that the person who's running actually is going to do good for the country then vote for them and hope make it clear to them with your vote that they need to listen to the other side because the only thing worse than very little getting done is nothing getting done because we're in gridlock because Mitch McConnell is completely stopping everything. We got $600 out of a stimulus package for just a cup for like nine months. That's not helping anybody. That's not helping anybody. And this is never going to get better unless we actually start to listen to people. That was the end of part two. I know I'm not quite at an hour, uh, but I know that at the end it got kind of preachy and a little bit rambly. I really appreciate you guys listening. I'm very passionate about this stuff, as you just heard. Um, and so I, I really believe that this can get better. It's just going to take uh, a little bit of compromise from each person. Maybe, maybe some stuff that isn't a huge deal saying, all right. I don't need to don't need to worry about that. Let's worry about these bigger deals over here. But um, again, uh, last week I made a Instagram dedicated solely to this podcast. So I'd appreciate it if you go follow that. I appreciate any likes, any subscribes, any shares with a friend. Um, again, if anyone has any questions or wants to discuss this with me at all, I'm all ears. Uh, feel free to DM me on Instagram. I've actually had a few people from, uh, from high school hit me up um, and, and just want to chat about the podcast or, or chat about uh, something that I've talked about. And I really appreciate that. I, I like talking to you guys so please reach out when you get the chance uh and i hope you enjoyed this episode keep listening have a great rest of your week